Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. All right, we're back. Another edition here of Kevin's Corner. I am Kevin Bowen and uh, Eddie Garrison, a last-minute plumbing issue pop-up there. I think you could probably insert your joke on your favorite team. Uh, with that, uh, but nonetheless, uh, Eddie's out today. So just be myself on this Wednesday afternoon. It is week nine, Colts and Panthers, as we record this. Uh, Colts favored, I believe, by three. Last I checked, double check that. So uh, those in Vegas pegging the Colts for what a six point better team uh, than Carolina. Tossing the home field, and that's where you get. The minus three, it's the first non-Sunday 1 o'clock game. You'll have that each of the next two weeks for the Colts. 4.05 coming up on Sunday. Kevin Harlan and company. Uh, Trent Green with Kevin Harlan. So always look forward to hearing one of the more iconic play-by-play voices in all of sports. And uh, he will be on the call. And then obviously next week in Germany. Uh, Colts will leave Thursday after practice. Um, I think this week if you look at Kansas City, Miami. Uh, they're each of them are kind of doing two different things. Miami spending pretty much the whole week in Frankfurt, uh, Miami, uh, or excuse me, Kansas City's doing the leave after Thursday, try to create as normal of a week as possible. And then I guess kind of fight the jet lag over the, or, or, over the weekend and then get ready for Sunday. So, uh, chiefs and dolphins in Frankfurt and then Colts and Patriots in week 10. So basically today's rundown will be a little bit of a trade deadline recap. Uh, go over a couple news items from the week and then uh, some Panthers notes and then go through your Twitter questions. Um, I do feel like when we get to this point of the season, uh, you kind of get into like some mid-season awards, those thoughts. Uh, I'll probably push that um, maybe to a little bit later in the podcast. As well, I wrote something up on 1075thefan.com. You know, you play the 17-game schedule, of course, you know, where's that midway point is after week eight is after week nine. So I guess you could toss it in this week, toss it in next week, but we'll hand out a few of those awards. But let's recap the trade deadline first, again, for the, you know, what is it, two, I think one time since 2013, I believe, the Colts made an in-season trade, uh, and that was last year. With Zach Moss going to, uh, or was Zach Moss coming here along with Will Mallory for Naheem Hines? So I don't think I was surprised at all, really, that Chris Bauer did not make any trade. It was interesting how so many people, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong on this. Um, if anything, wanted the Colts to, you know, be a little bit more of a buyer than anything um, here at the deadline. And I know it can get really black and white when you say buy or you say sell, and, and those can obviously have connotations that you know go right into it. The buy says, hey, you're a playoff team, you're a Super Bowl team, and the sell says, you're terrible and you're tanking, and and, and that's where you're at. And obviously that's not 1,000% the definition for you know all 32 of these teams. For me, it kind of boiled down to this. Was this 2023 season ever about wins or losses? And I think if I presented a yes or no answer to you to that, the answer of those two would be no. Um, well, you obviously still play the season out, and you still see how the season goes. So the season is gone, and you're three and five, and you've lost three straight, and you're three back of Jacksonville in the division, and you don't have the tiebreaker, and you're 13th out of 16 AFC teams. And when I kind of view all of that and think, are you a piece or two away from being a 
playoff contender, Super Bowl contender, which in my mind, that's what it takes to kind of be super active in, in buying at the deadline. You just aren't going to find, you know, young pieces that whatever, have two to three years and can give you, you know, something like that. If you're going to make a buy, it's going to be for a Chase Young, who, you know, is a bit of a rental for San Francisco or Leonard Williams, a little bit older um, for Seattle, you know, those sorts of moves. Um, and again, if you aren't that, then in my opinion, uh, you look at your upcoming free agents, in particular, the Colts, when again, we didn't view this season, you know, living and dying with these wins and losses. Then in my opinion, if you have 2024 free agents that you don't feel like are a part of your future, uh, you look long and hard at trying to move those guys. So whether that could have been a Zach Moss for a middle round pick or Julian Blackman for a middle round pick, and then that means maybe you p- play Nick Cross a little bit more. I think those are the things that I would have explored. And, and I have hesitancy to believe that the Colts were kind of super, super active in either looking into that and or obviously agreeing to anything on that end. Because when you look at the free agents, for next season for the Colts, I mean, they have a lot of notable names, and I just don't see them bringing everybody back and or, you know, is everybody going to want to come back? Do, like, does Zach Moss view the situation as, yeah, you know, this is where I, I see myself getting, you know, whatever, 12 to 15 carries a game moving forward, considering how much they're paying Jonathan Taylor. So, you know, Michael Pittman and Grover Stewart and Kenny Moore and Julian Blackman and Zach Moss. I mean, hell, Gardner Minshew. I mean, all of these guys, I think you would qualify as notable names. You could make strong to compelling cases to bring back all of them. Um, and now the question becomes, will you, can you, and what's the market look like for a lot of these guys? I mean, though, again, those names, I think several of them could draw, you know, pretty strong markets out there. And I would say where you're a little bit bummed out, in in my opinion, if you're a Colts fan moving into the next offseason, is, and this is kind of unusual for the Chris Boward era, you don't enter a draft with a lot of optionality or flexibility early on. You know, Ballard several times has entered drafts with that additional, you know, second round pick or the additional third round pick or multiple, you know, selections, you know, nine picks in a draft, 10 picks in a draft. And I'll steal a word that Kevin Pritchard, Pacers team president, uses quite often. And I think it's been such a key catalyst to the Pacers' rebuild is optionality. Like, you want optionality. You want flexibility. And for me, when I view Chris Ballard, knowing he does have a reluctancy to use that mid-March free agency, then, okay, where are your other areas to build throughout the offseason? The trade deadlines being one of them. Uh, Having more draft picks being one of them. And to me, it's not just a, oh, you just trade back and you collect more more darts. Um, I like kind of going in there and have some ammo with me, and then all of a sudden, if I'm sitting there in whatever, round one or round two, you know, go back to the 2020 draft. Round two, all of a sudden, Jonathan Taylor starts to fall. You take Michael Pittman to 34. You feel like you've got an additional fifth rounder. Boom, you trade up three spots. Three spots, but that additional fifth rounder is a huge part of it all of a sudden you you take a guy that you really covet. You know, I want to make sure, like, I have that sort of flexibility and, again, optionality, um, especially if I view a guy right now on my roster that is not going to be part of my 2024 plans. Um, So I'll be really curious to see how free agency plays out. You know, you guys have heard me talk about the Bobby Okereke thing from last year where I think this time last year we all realized he was not going to be back just based off the finances at that linebacker position. He walked and you got nothing in, in return. 
Uh, you know, is there anybody? And, and again, I don't think anyone jumps off the page, so I don't want to act like this is clear and obvious. But guys like Blackman, guys like um, you know Moss, you know Kenny Moore, I don't think so. Um, you know, I was totally good at the Colts drafting three corners this past year. I think if you're going to nitpick a little bit, you'd like to see one of those corners have some you know nickel or, or or slot flexibility to where you know there's the passing of the torch from Kenny to that guy, but you don't have that. So um, that's kind of how I view the trade deadline. And, and, and also, I think it's a reminder, too, of, um, and this goes back to Stephon Gilmore trade from last March, it's just quite humbling that, like, this is kind of where you're at as a franchise to where you're watching a lot of these teams make these sorts of moves, um, and you don't really kind of fit the mold for any of that. And when you're in year seven with the GM, you obviously want to be the team that's you know doing a little bit more of the win-now mode. Um Montez Sweat was probably the name that stood out to me the most just because the Colts connection, you know, Colts red flagged him medically back in that 2019 draft. Obviously, um, he's been a really durable and, and pretty consistent rusher. He's, you know, this has been a career start to him this season, and it's kind of fitting the way that Matt Eberflus, obviously the coordinator here in 2019, uh, you know, now gets him. And Sweat, I think for the most part, has pretty much played. I think he missed a handful of games in year three, but I, I, I want to say he hasn't missed a game besides that. Um, and that was a trade that, you know, of course, when you look at it, you got Michael Pittman out of it, uh, Ben Banigou, and I think Marvell Tell were the other couple pieces of that trade. You end up drafting Rock. You traded back from 26, and you drafted Rocky Scene with that first pick in the second round, and then later took Banigou, and then obviously Pittman in that next draft. So certainly Pittman was a great pick no no questions asked the other guys certainly did not work out but you know what could have been because I, I think you are still chasing that you are still chasing that of exactly what it looks like from a consistent edge uh pressure guy for you um, and i guess that's probably a good way to get whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits long live listening to your favorites learn more about Kaskali ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you into the midseason awards for the Colts it, to me um it, it's MVP I think is pretty obvious you know it's funny we had Stephen Holder on our show earlier today and I asked him who he would go with for MVP, and he he, he went with Zach Moss. I, I, I still would go with Zaire Franklin. Um, I just think when you look over the course of the end, MVP for me is always kind of best player. It's not necessarily most valuable player. It's it's best player. Um, and I just think Franklin over the course of the eight games has been that. You know, Moss, you know, I had him as the runner-up for Offensive Player of the Year. I had Michael Pittman winning that one. You know, Moss has obviously been a great story. Um, I gave Moss the Breakout Player of the Year award. Thought about Bernard Ryman a little bit. Uh, but I think Moss qualifies as that. So uh, to me, again, I, I, I think Franklin deserves to be the best player. Um, again, I had Michael Pittman as Offensive Player of the Year. I mean, he's on pace to really shatter career marks. And I think it, you could make certainly a case for Moss. It's just a little bit of that dwindling of a of a role. And uh, and playtime has has contributed to that. But, you know, you could probably give co-offensive players of the year there. A defensive player of the year, I am a fan of not giving the same same player the, the award, uh, or two awards, I should say. And so I didn't go with Zaire Franklin here. Um, I'll go with Kenny Moore. Uh, just the amount of tackles for loss is really a number that stands out to me. Um, so I think it's been Kenny getting back to some of that playmaking uh, that we're used to with him. So a really good contract year. Rookie of the year to me is the most obvious of all these awards. I mean, how is it not 
Josh Downs. He's got to be unanimous with that. Um, again, breakout player. Um, I went with Zach Moss. Most disappointing. I, you could probably go a couple of different ways with this. You know, the planet cornerback, um, which is very complicated, is probably where I would go just because, again, you are in a youth movement. Why are you in a youth movement? Well, because you're in a rebuild. Well, why are you in a rebuild? Well, because Chris Bauer hasn't built this team to be at the level that you would want it to be into year seven. So, again, it's kind of like a complicated one to hand out. Um, you know, tight end-wise, I think you'd like to see somebody emerge there, and whether it's a disappointment of the Jelani Woods injury or, you know, Mo Cox just kind of leveling out as a player. Um, you know, Kylan Granson's been a little bit banged up. You know, Ogletree and Mallory, to me, Ogletree is very intriguing to me. He's a guy that I want to see a little bit more of here in the next couple of weeks, especially with Jelani, you know, seemingly not back just yet. Um, continuing to see, you know, him get a little bit more of an expanded role. Uh, but tight end overall, the fact that no one's really emerged there, I think could fall into it. Um, but the more I thought about it, I probably honestly even maybe disagreed with myself about giving it to cornerback or, again, cornerback plan, however you want to label it. But I would just go to timely pass rush, defensive line playmaking as of late. Uh, and very specifically, if you want to get individual-based, you know, I think you would call uh, Pay into that category as a rusher, as a pass rusher. Um, and it might be a little bit of recency bias. It might be a little bit of a, you know, kind of three to four games looking back on the last month or so. But if you look at Quiddy Pay so far this season, um, he's got three sacks. You know, had one each in the first three games. He's got four quarterback hits, had one each in the first four games. So he's not had a sack or a quarterback hit since week four. Hasn't had a sack since week three. He did miss one game this season. But he add up those numbers. I think he's like 60-something in sacks. I want to say it's like 64th in sacks. Quarterback hits, he's in the 120s. And, and, and that's where I get to the disappointment. You know, one of those games, he's going up against a rookie quarterback in Dewan Jones. Boy, I mean, 21st overall pick in year three, I mean, you got to be licking your chops. And, and right now, and you will have to make this decision coming up in the 2024 offseason, but would you pick up that fifth-year option for him? I would not. You know, it to me, I just got to see more. And, you know, there was this debate when Cordy Pay was taken, and again, it was Cordy Pay or Christian Darisau. That was the debate the Colts had. They felt like Darisau just mental makeup maybe wouldn't have fit their offensive line room, and that was kind of the the, the tiebreaker on that. Um, but when you look at Quiddy, didn't have big sack numbers at Michigan, but, po- but posted these just very eye-popping testing traits. And that was the Colts saying, hey, that athletic you know makeup, that, 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 that profile, the speed and quickness profile, that will pop, and we will develop that, I think, into a pass rusher. And really, it's just kind of been a Jabal sheer type of high motor effort power sort of player and for 21 overall you obviously want more than that um, so I think this is a big kind of second half of the year coming up for Quiddy to show himself I mean that's a big fifth year option number again he's under contract for 2024 so you know he's going to be here next year you have to make a decision coming up in the spring about will he be here for 2025 and that number again really skyrockets so for me, I just think timely pass rush in general, and if you want to label an individual, he'd probably be in that group um, for this season. Uh, before we get into... 
Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Just kind of weekly news items. Um, you know, a little bit more on the Panthers. Some Twitter questions. Again, the Colts had just a walkthrough today. Um, the four guys that did not practice or did not participate, I should say. Uh, Juju Brents, Shane Sagan said on Wednesday he will not practice all week, so expect him to miss a second straight game. Zaire Franklin battled through that knee injury on Sunday. Um, he did not participate. Dio Dangba, who I do think is coming on a little bit, uh, but again, a little bit more just of that power. The Colts, I think, just lack that speed, edge, quickness. You know, we got to chip this guy. You know, they, they just don't really have that presence off the edge. Uh, Dio is shoulder and a toe. Did not participate. Braden Smith missed again. It was Wool C. That was the response from Shane Steichen on Braden Smith practicing this week. To me, if Braden ends up not playing, uh, why didn't he just go on IR? You know, he, he's missed three games. This would be a fourth. Um, Thursday's going to be a huge day. That you obviously want to see Braden Smith get back out there. Kylan Granson uh, is progressing through concussion protocol. He did practice last Friday, so that's a good sign. Uh, he was full. Again, it's just a walkthrough. Uh, and then Eric Johnson looks like he has a chance to be back. He was full after missing. He also practiced last Friday but didn't have enough time to play in the game. So he uh, was a full participant in the walkthrough. The Colts are kind of doing this a little bit, just trying to kind of manage the, um, the eight-week schedule, um, which I totally get that they've played eight straight weeks, and you dial it back just a little bit uh, with with where they're at practice-wise. So that's why that'll walk through on Wednesday. Um, getting into, again, kinds of news items in Carolina. You know, going back to Juju Brents, what do they do? To me, you've got three options. I guess you got four, if you really want to think about it. Um, I think you could move Tony Brown to nickel, a little bit more of his natural position, if there is such a thing. Uh, put Kenny outside, uh, and then you you know don't touch Jalen Jones, you don't touch Julian Blackman, you don't touch Rodney Thomas. Colts want Rodney Thomas to play a little bit more consistent. Um, there's been some issues with how they feel about his consistency. You want to see his play go up a notch, so that's something to keep an eye on. It was Rodney Thomas that was at fault for the deep uh, Shahid touchdown, the first one, the one in the second quarter on Sunday. I guess that was the only one that he had, but uh, that was not Tony Brown's fault. Colts were in cover two there, and just a coverage bust by Rodney Thomas. Um, so that's one option. Obviously, they can move Kenny outside and then uh, drop Julian Blackman down. That's something that we talked about last week, getting it cross on the field. You know, Julian Blackman has played nickel and slot. Um, so that would be another option that they have. Um, they could go back to Daryl Baker Jr. Uh, granted, while you know, I think obviously a lot of Colts fans thought that the NFL missed two calls on you know, Daryl Baker Jr., Late in that loss to the Browns, I guess the NFL, you know, really they felt like Baker committed a penalty on both of them. Uh, if you look at it, it was just the timing of Philip Walker fumbling the ball before the infraction occurred to the illegal contact. Uh, clearly, the Colts thought that the second experience of Daryl Baker Jr. in the lineup was enough for him to lose that outside job. Um, and so if you wanted to, you could go back to, to Daryl Baker um, then on the practice squad, I think Darren Hall is kind of an intriguing name. I remember when the Colts got him in the offseason, um, 
you know, he's got a guy or he's got it started nine games for the Falcons last season, been on their practice squad for, I think the vast majority of the season, uh, again, nine starts last year with Atlanta. Could he be an option this week? Now you only have two practices. So, you know, how will that influence? Should that influence anything? Uh, that'll be something to keep an eye on. The good news is Carolina just, to, they just, they have no wideout depth. I mean, to me, it's almost like a, do you follow Thielen around with Kenny Moore uh, obviously, Frank Reich's gonna you know bunch and stack and and, and make sure Steeland or Thielen doesn't get touched that much. But I, I think that obviously is a huge, huge question going into Sunday. But depth wise, I mean, there's not a Michael Thomas, Chris Olave, Raheem Shahid. I mean, there's 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 not even kind of that uh, for Carolina's wideout group. Bryce Young has really been kind of a dink and dunk guy. Uh, he's had over 20 completions in every start, which is a pretty big number. But again, it's been a lot of underneath stuff. Still gets sacked quite a quite a bit. Uh, six sacks last week, so an opportunity there, certainly for this defensive line to feast. Uh, but, you know, again, that's been a question here of the last couple of weeks. Um, you know, the whole Frank Reich storyline to this one, you know, to me, he is... Um, I don't know if it's going to matter, but behind the scenes, I think he is beyond fired up for this one. Understandably so. Um, you know, does he have more to, of an advantage than the Colts do knowing him? Because now he's no longer the play caller. Thomas Brown was the play caller last week. We'll be again this week. You know, Gus Bradley, of course, is the play caller. And so, yes, Shane Steichen, of course, is not Frank Reich. So that side of the ball, you would kind of throw out the window. But um, when it's the Colts defense against the Panthers offense, that is where theoretically Frank should should know some things. Um, so very curious to see how this Colts defense does respond. Um, you know, Gus Bradley said earlier this week, you know, they've got to get back to us. Uh, way too many big plays allowed, which you know that's usually been a staple. And honestly, it's a staple kind of going back to the Matt Eberflus days as well. Um, I, I don't think Carolina is very good at all. Um, they really struggle stopping the run. Um, I think the Colts do win this one, but. You know, certainly there are some interesting angles to it, and now I'm curious, okay, are the Colts now in pissed-off mode? Are they kind of put-up-or-shut-up mode? Because that's, that's where you're at now. I mean, when you're 3-5 and five and the division looks like it looks like, you know, the wild card probably is going to be your only route in, you know, you are getting to this thin margin of error, um, and... Now it's four or five away from home. You've played, I guess, a little bit better away from home than you have at home. Um, so, you know, do you have the ability to string anything together? And I will continue to say it. And again, in other markets, they're saying it about the Colts. But on paper, this is an easy, manageable schedule, no matter how you want to slice it. You look at opponent records the rest of the way, uh, I think 30th in the NFL. The Colts have actually played a decent schedule so far, record-wise, but 30th the rest of the way for their opponents, you think about the quarterbacks they're going to play the rest of the way. Uh, right now, you got four rookie quarterbacks left on the schedule in Bryce Young and Will Levis and Aiden O'Connell and C.J. Stroud. Um, you know, when you look at outside of Joe Burrow, I, I, find me a top-half quarterback you're going to play the rest of the year. Is C.J. Stroud the best quarterback not named Burrow that you're going to play to close out the season? I mean, the QBs are... Again, Bryce Young, Mac Jones, Baker Mayfield, Will Levis, Joe Burrow, Kenny Pickett, right now Taylor Heineke, Aiden O'Connell, C.J. Stroud. So, 
you know, I guess it's a little bit of glass half full. Of course, those opponents, I know they're saying the same thing about the Colts and Gardner Minshew, but, um, you know, these are just a lot of coin flip type games on paper. And yeah, Cincinnati has certainly resurrected things, but I think that's where some of the, the, the fan disappointment should come into play here is that, again, on paper, you've been... Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Given a pretty good schedule and just the inability to take advantage of it uh, up to this point, obviously you still have opportunities here. I think that would add to some of the sting of this season. Again, Carolina, poor against the run. Obviously, you know Frank's going to try and load it up up front, or at least tell Ajero Evero to do that. Uh, plenty of Colts connections. You've got Matthias Farley, Mike Strawn, Henry Anderson still hanging on there. How about Parks Frazier? Remember that name? Jeff Saturday's offensive coordinator, I believe, after a couple of people turned down the gig. Um, he is the passing game coordinator down there. Great dude. A great, great human. Uh, Brian Decker, uh, Ballard's kind of army character guy. He followed Frank Reich down there. Jim Caldwell's a senior assistant. And uh, Evero was a guy that did interview here uh, during the head coaching process. Uh, let's get to Twitter questions before we make our, uh, our picks here. I say R. I guess it's myself, so it'll just be un pick for today. This one from I Helix. Is it fair to ask how much worse fifth round draft pick Darius Rush was than Tony Brown, who gave up three receptions for 150? Seriously, can it get worse? Well, yeah, Tony's numbers, I guess, a little bit different. Again, Rodney Thomas did have one of those busts, but Tony still gave up a lot more than just three um, three receptions. You know, the, the, the nice thing about the offseason is you have an advantage to, or at least from a media standpoint, uh, you are able to watch pretty much every practice and, you know, solve, you know, pretty much everything from Darius Rush. And um, I thought there were definitely some up and down moments. You know, he had a couple down moments in the preseason game. But you even go back to the Chris Bauer answer at the end of the preseason. It was nothing really Rush related. It was more due to immense praise for Tony Brown and just kind of a numbers game at corner. And again, in my opinion, uh, you kept an av- extra defensive tackle, and it's not like you've, you know, if you look at the defensive tackles that they kept at the end of the regular season, to me, that was easier to sneak through to the practice squad. And it's not like you've needed or played all of those guys. To me, Rush was an investment as a fifth-round pick. Uh, he played a premium position. He had some up-and-down moments, but the key thing is he also had some ups. And it, it still is head-scratching to me that you did – cut him, and I'll, I'll kind of echo what I said on Monday about Tony Brown. I think the disappointment, the I guess maybe the salt meeting the wounds from Sunday was, it's not, you were getting torched at corner, and it wasn't a youth movement in there. You committed to the youth movement, but yet a reason why you lost was because of a veteran corner, a 28-year-old, a special teamer, an undrafted free agent, not a high, not even high, and not not a draft pick, not a younger guy, not a baptism by fire, not even a Daryl Baker Jr., uh, for example. Um, so I thought that was what was frustrating. So the rush thing will always be something that I just, to me, the draft picks have got to be uber bad, uber bad off the field 
if you're going to cut them before their first regular season. If you're going to, um, you know, move on from them when, again, you are in a season that wasn't about wins and losses. And you could have, you know, you, you could afford to be a little bit patient uh, with that. Uh, let's go to Joel. Uh, let's go back to Sunday with the Saints. Minshew constantly looked rushed without enough time to allow passing plays to develop. In your opinion, this is due to the poor offensive line play, Minshew's inability to process and progress through his reads fast enough, or wideouts just not getting open. Yeah, again, I think this is what kind of adds to the Jonathan Taylor frustration. And honestly, the more I get removed from Sunday, and I've gone back and I've watched the first quarter and the first half, and and we kind of focused on that. Certainly watched the second half, but you know, focused a little bit more on the first quarter and the first half, and. There are many times in the Frank Reich era, Chuck Pagano era, where there's been something in-game where I've maybe disagreed with. I've gone back and watched, listened, looked into, and I've understood where the coach or team was coming from in that decision. The more removed I get from Sunday, the more mystifying it is on the lack of Taylor usage. And I think for our audience that listened to the Monday pod, I probably was a little bit more on the lack of run game, uh, commitment, balance, uh, concentration, however you want to describe it, more so than the lack of Taylor usage. But to me, I probably should have been a little bit more on getting away from Taylor. I mean, yes, I thought in general they got away from the run game. Um, again, 23 combined carries for Moss and Taylor when they're averaging you know north of six yards per carry and 41 attempts for Minshew when it was a one-possession game. You were only down two possessions for just one series. Uh, again, very, very confusing to me. But I go back and watch Taylor in that first quarter. And when Shane Steichen you know, says the phrase, kind of ride the hot hand, that is the second best first quarter of Jonathan Taylor's career. Second best first quarter of Taylor's career. And you get away from the hot hand with that. Like, like even when you hear Shane's words, I'm like, what? It just it do, it does not add up at all to me and this question comes into play because it's not like Minshew in the passing offense was doing anything of substance um, you averaged five yards per pass attempt uh, your completion percentage was just just north of 50 uh, I went back and looked at the Taylor carries in the first quarter these were the yards gained on the seven carries by Jonathan Taylor in that opening quarter four six 14, 42, 3, 13. Then they tried to do that quick play to end the first quarter on the goal line. He got stuffed, so zero there on the final play. Add all that up, it's 11 yards per play. You want to take out the 42-yarder. He's still averaging north of four yards per carry. But again, to me, you can't take out a 42-yarder like that. So think about that. He's productive. You've just body-blowed the hell out of the Saints, a Saints team that was sick in the first quarter. Your other plays in the opening quarter. Zero, zero, one, one, seven, ten, three, twelve, five, nine. You add that up, it's less than five yards per play. So Taylor is, you know, seven yards more per play than the other, you know, runs, passes that you incorporated there in the opening quarter. So whether you want to say hot hand, whether you want to say compare the run game to the pass game, whether you want to point to the scoreboard, I don't see any of those three areas why it was wise to either, again, get away from Taylor or get away from the run game in general. Ultimately, in the second half, he scored seven points, and Taylor had one catch and one carry. 
So, yeah, you just, yeah. To me, it makes very little to no sense. Uh, as far as the question as I've gotten way away from it, Joel. Yeah, I mean, a little indecision, a little bit of separation. You know, Saints are certainly going to play a ton of press man. Um, I did think Minshew did a nice job making a handful of plays with his legs, mostly extension plays. But, um, you know, I, th- I think in general that is some of the pass game. If you watch the first quarter of the pass game, that average depth was barely anything. And it was a lot of you're hoping for stuff, you know, kind of post-catch of a Pittman across or and a screen here and, you know, a lot of you know, kind of Pittman underneath stuff. And that's something, I guess, as well of, you know, what we saw – in that game was a big commitment to Pittman. Um, are we going to see a big commitment to Taylor now early on in that game? I know maybe it's not exactly apples to apples. And again, I, you know, Frank Wright doesn't, or excuse me, um, Shane Steichen doesn't seem to think that Pittman deserved or uh, that, that that Taylor deserved a huge, huge you know difference in carries. He said, yeah, I could have sprinkled that another run, but again, he didn't seem too. Uh, regrettable, if you will, about it, but that is something that I am curious about heading into Sunday because obviously Frank Reich knows full well what Jonathan Taylor can do in a game. Uh, this one from Flippin. This team is bad. How does Ballard roll into 2023 with this secondary? We all knew it was bad, but is this a fireable offense? Um, you know, I, I don't think, like, this one instance is fireable. Um, now, the overarching reason on why you feel like you're committing to a youth movement at that position in year seven of your regime, you can make a strong case that that is fireable. Um, like, you've gotten to this point of his era, and you're in a rebuild. You're in a you were in a season where if at the end of the year, or if at the start of the season, I would have done a poll of, is this season about wins or, wins or losses, or is it more about whatever, Anthony Richardson's development, you know, finding other pieces around Richardson, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I would say the vast majority of the audience would have opted for answers that weren't just wins and losses. That is an issue. Um, so I, that kind of greater theme, yeah, I mean, Stefan, you know, you, you, you shouldn't have your best players come to you and saying, I don't want to be here anymore. I want to go to a winning team. Um, you know, that, I guess, could be done in, I don't know, insert, try to think of GM-head-coach combination that's starting over, um, I guess, maybe the Raiders next year. But for a GM in year seven, you don't want that. Uh, but again, Ballard has been awarded this from the owner, and so, in a way, I, I've almost viewed it as this is kind of like a new GM and a new head coach, and that he is going nowhere, and that he is going to get several years at this, so... Um, I did find it interesting just throughout the offseason, you know, these different pivot points of you know, whether it was the Rodgers news coming out in June. Um, you know, Juju Brents obviously battled injuries throughout training camp as well. You know, the cutting of Darius Rush, the Dallas Flowers injury. I mean, you've had different points in the offseason to kind of make some sort of a veteran cornerback move. And even if that's just on, on your practice squad. Uh, because that goes back to Sunday of, you know, Tony Brown is not the youth movement. So when you've needed to go or you decided to go to a veteran, this is the veteran that you chose. That, I think, is a fair argument. Now, again, fireable, you know, probably not that one decision. Um, I think there are some over, you know, arching things on the resume you could point to. But, yeah, I, I don't know if I would say just one uh, qualifies as that. Uh, Cardiac Colts, do you think Anthony Richardson's injury gives – 
Ballard a mulligan for next year, or do you think he was safe regardless of how the season goes? Yeah, I think he was safe. And I, I'm such a big believer in Shane Steichen that I think if you're the Colts, you don't, you don't want to see him fired. You know, it, it, the awkward dynamics of a new GM with, with a young head coach, that's just weird. It's weird and never goes well. Rarely goes well, I should say. But, yeah, I don't. No. Uh, Daniel, now that Richardson is out for the season, do the Colts hedge their bets on him by drafting a quarterback next year in rounds four through six? You know, I'm probably, and I don't think this was ever my consistent thought or is as consistent as like, a, you don't draft running backs till day three. And I don't know, I, maybe I wouldn't have said that in 2011, 2012 when I first started covering the Colts, but certainly have, that's kind of quickly got into my, you know, philosophy about the draft I would say as you continue to see the importance of the position which is a yeah duh comment but you also continue to see how the position emphasizes that dual threat capability it's probably gotten to a point now where I'm a no matter who your quarterback is draft a quarterback on day three I could argue annually Maybe not annually, but I think you could make a case for annually. Throw a dart at it every year. You know, if you've got st- if you've got Mahomes and he you know barely plays in the preseason, that guy gets you know, a couple games. Maybe you've clinched, and late in the year he can start a game. Um, you never know. So uh, yeah, I I could get behind that, and I think you know, given Richardson and what you have, um, you could make a case for that. And honestly, this line of thinking, Daniel, is a little bit kind of why I mentioned the Kellen Mond idea earlier in the week of if the season goes off the rails, which, again, is a big if, and frankly, I don't expect that to happen. But if it does, and Minshew continues to turn it over at a really high rate, why do I need to see any more of Minshew in a contract year? I don't. And I probably don't need to see Sam Ellinger in, what, year three for him? I'd probably rather see Mon. Just uh, you know, what does he look like? What do, has Shane Steichen in, in a month or two done anything with them? Is there anything there to work with? Um, that's probably a little bit of my line of thinking there. On that end, all right. We'll close with this, Connor. Connor, absolute legend. Connor, I met in um, Florida. I was down there for a family vacation, Marco Island. At the bar with my brother-in-law, Ross, one night, and all of a sudden I get this tap on the shoulder, and Connor says to me, no podcast this week? In his Irish accent, I won't pretend to do it. Connor, I believe, married to a Michigan woman. Uh, no idea if she's related to the Stallions family, Connor Stallions, that is. I don't know. Maybe this is Connor Stallions now that I tie it all together. Uh, but he was there for Christmas with his family, and um, he was correct. I had not done a podcast. I, I, I don't know if I had taken that week off or uh, what it was there. So shout out to Connor. Safe travels to that area, Connor, if you're going again. Certainly did not expect to run into a listener at Kevin's Corner at the, what's that bar called? Watched a Colts game at that bar. Salty Dog, maybe? I think that's what it is. Connor goes, uh, as a European soccer fan, can you explain why the NFL uses artificial turf instead of natural grass? I personally think the Amari Rogers, Kirk Cousins, uh, Amari Rogers, Aaron Rogers, that's on me. Uh, Aaron Rodgers and Kirk Cousins' injuries wouldn't happen on natural grass. Does Jim Mercer carry some responsibility to advocate for natural grass in order to reduce the wear and tear of his running QB's ligaments? 
Thanks. Connor, totally fair question. Way above my pay grade on it. Um, yeah, I think when you see that hit, yeah, I mean, turf probably didn't help. You know, when he had the concussion in week two, that was in Houston. Um, why do owners, uh, many owners, opt for turf over natural grass? They're greedy. They want multi-purpose venues, events, probably cities too. I, I would assume, like FFA, um, that massive convention is here in Indy. This weekend, I would guess they use Lucas Oil and probably – Visit Indy says to the NFL, hey, can you keep that weekend open so we can have our convention here and utilize Lucas Oil? There's no irrigation. I know that in Lucas Oil. Um, it's attached to the convention center, so I think when it was built in, what was it built, 08? Like 08 was the first year of it. That that line of thinking was not there. So it, it just it seems like how multi-billion dollar of an organization the NFL is, how you know massive these individual brands are that it would only be a matter of time before you go a little bit more grass-centric all throughout, especially with the European soccer model. Uh, but again, whether it's Taylor Swift or, um, you know, what do they have, the big kind of monster truck series or, you know, obviously Final Fours, things like that. It, you know, when, when do we get to a point for a venue of like, yes, you can have natural grass, but you can also have some of these multi-purpose events. Do we have to knock down all these buildings? I mean, does it is it – Lucas Oil just simply can't have it because the irrigation isn't there, and that'd be impossible for it to install. And we're just gonna have to wait till the next, you know, Colt Stadium is built, which obviously you don't want to be doing that. Some what are we, sixteen years into the Lucas Oil era? Um, so yeah, it's certainly something that has a, a, you know risen much much more this season. You would think some of it is injury injury related, but again, Connor, I'd be lying to you if I thought that was. Or, or I, I knew a whole lot about that specific topic. All right, Colts-Panthers uh, favored by three. What's the biggest Colt favorite in a while? I'm trying to think back to, like, Tennessee at home or Houston on the road, what the uh, favorite situation looked like for those games. I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think the Panthers are good. Um, I'm sure Frank Reich's been burning the midnight oil and wants to win this one, and inside would have a Nick Sirianni reaction. Frank... Uh, certainly answered the questions all the right way this week and deflecting a little bit of the importance on it, but I know deep down how much this means to him. So I have no idea if all of a sudden Jackson will have some, or uh, Jacksonville, if Carolina have an inspired effort for that. But I'm going to go 27-19 Colts. Um, I think they'll get after Bryce Young enough. Sacked six times last week, has been sacked pretty consistently throughout his tenure. I think it's important for Gus Bradley to have a big look in the mirror moment of A, you're facing a rookie quarterback, but B, you're also facing a head coach that knows your system very, very well. You've got to change some stuff up. You've got to throw different wrinkles, A, at the rookie, uh, but B, also at, again, Frank Reich, who's probably going to be in Bryce's year a whole, whole lot. So I think that's an absolute must and needed with how your four-man rush uh, has not gotten home consistently enough here this season. So um, that is something that I think is is a must. And Offensively, I think there's an element you just give Shane Steichen the benefit of the doubt. Again, you could, you know, obviously I didn't think last week was the wisest game plan and kind of getting away from what was doing the heavy scoring for you early on, and, and you didn't score as much throughout the second and the third and, and fourth quarters, but uh, I still think they will have plenty. I, you know, Jacksonville, or <laughs> keep on calling them Jacksonville, Carolina's a defense outside of Brian Burns. Nobody really jumps out the page. At me is super impactful. Um, Gerald 
Evero probably will do some things a little bit more from a disguise standpoint. Uh, but still, I think the Colts have proven that they can score. Uh, so I'll go 27-19. Colts get to 4-5 and five on the year. And then head to Germany coming up in Week 10. All right, everybody, have a great week, a great start to November. Thank you for bearing with me here on the solo pod. Eddie Garrison will be back on Monday, and we will talk to you then. Everybody have a great weekend.